and welcome to Conversations in Clean Tech, the podcast that celebrates the clean tech industry and the people that power it, brought to you by Brightsmith. I'm your host, Jenny Gladman, and across the podcast, I'll be interviewing leaders and entrepreneurs from around the world to explore the opportunities, challenges, and rewards of working in clean tech. From revolutionizing solar panels to overhauling the way we move, in this second season, we'll be exploring the innovations that are sparking sustainable change and fueling a cleaner, greener future, whilst offering some tokens of wisdom to enlighten, engage, and inspire everyone to live their purpose. So today's guest is someone who lives and breathes what they do. He's wholeheartedly committed to solving the energy crisis and has given his all in an incredible startup with that mission at its heart. Carl is an entrepreneur, an innovator, someone who's ready to speak his mind and is all about action and not just words. It gives me great pleasure to welcome today's guest, the CEO of Serafi Energy, a company delivering global geothermal energy solutions at scale. Carl Farrow, welcome to Conversations in Clean Tech. Thanks, Jenny. Nice to be here and great to be part of this podcast. Yeah, welcome. Um, so one of what I guess to talk about the podcast straight away, one of the aims of this podcast isn't just to highlight amazing people, that is one of it, but also to provide some education. So people who are real leaders in their field and have been in it a long time and have a great depth of knowledge, it gives them a platform to share that with people who have less knowledge of the sector. So I guess to go straight in uh, to geothermal energy, can you give us the 101 the idiot's guide, so to speak, and I put myself in that category in many of these fields. Yeah, I'll, I won't, I'll be sort of admit I'm not far, probably far behind. <laughs> I mean, you know, I think you're in amongst the sort of the, the the higher group of people who don't know than there are people that do know, and I think that's uh, you know one of the areas why we are doing what we're doing because it is a really unknown, scalable solution to potential long-term benefit for fighting climate change and. And that was really what what drove me and, and other um, members of the company to do what we've done. So, you know, geothermal has been around for thousands of years. It's been used, you know, dating right back to the Chinese, more historically in the UK, Romans, in Bath, etc. You know, where, you know, heat from the ground in water has been used, you know, and brought up to the surface and uh, been used in a, in a in an open environment for heating and, uh, and other, other forms of uh, use. And, you know, commercially, it's been available commercially at scale, you know, from really the turn of the century, uh, back in the 1900s uh, in Italy with one of the sort of first projects that was produced there. But still today, you know, well over 100 years later, from a commercial aspect, there's still less than 15 gigawatts or around 15 gigawatts commercially um, installed around the world, which um, when you look at wind and solar and other forms of renewable, you know, it's pretty, pretty minsculous in respect of um, you know, the size of it. Uh, and effectively, it's a market that, you know, everywhere we go in the world, you know, you can access, you know, effectively thermal energy from the, from the Earth's core. Coming from an oil and gas background, having been involved with multiple projects around the world in different countries, and, you know, knowing that there's millions of wells drilled around the world in oil and gas, uh, you know, over the 150 plus years or more that oil and gas has been around, everything we do know from them wells is that, you know, the deeper you drill, the hotter it gets and in certain places it's hotter than others but on average the, the global temperature around the earth is around 30 degrees per kilometer and that means if you drill down to five six kilometers you're in the sort of temperatures which can then start to produce electricity so really from an oil and gas perspective is really where we came at this um 
we looked at it from you know historically what's been done um, a lot of it has been looking for pacific environments within the geology of the subsurface i.e looking where water connects with hot rocks etc and creates a natural steam to produce energy and our approach is slightly different we just thought well if you can get to the heat you can always induce the liquids to create the energy and that's really what you know our philosophy and our, our sort of um drive for bringing this um sort of, i'd say this massive energy source to the abundance of the population in the world and you know once you once you do produce it in a scalable manner you you don't only have the benefit to produce electricity you also have the benefit of using the heat directly which can be used for you know district heating it can also be then used for cooling uh, through chillers it can then be applied to multiple areas of desalination and things like water treatment um, it has multiple scalable uses from high temperature to low temperature in heat so it can be used for you know large scale heating networks or industrial processes but then the lower temperatures can be used for things like climate climatized agriculture so it does really provide a holistic approach to global economic benefit and scale for clean energy and that's really where where we you know where we where we've kind of come at it from is really um you know to try and spread that word get it more open openly known and uh get people to adopt it as, as part of their sort of um, clean energy transition and energy, um, you know, goals. Amazing. And you touched on there your background in oil and gas. Do you want to give us a bit of insight into how your career took the turns it took? And then what was that kind of light bulb moment of, you know, I need to step away from the pure oil and gas and, and start to do something that's making an impact? Yeah, I mean, I always had, um, as you can see, I'm quite a fan of music and uh, I always had the ambitions at school of going into some sort of area in the music. I always wanted to be a music technician, or, you know, very fond of music. And, you know, when I went to my career officer at school, like many other people do, and sort of get some guidance. And, you know, when I told him I wanted to be a music technician, he just said, that's not on my list. You need to pick something else. So, <laughs> you know, that was a sort of, a, you know, my sort of aspirations sort of shot down in flames from from the early stage. Um but, you know, living in an environment where, you know, oil and gas and energy is part of the sort of infrastructure of the, the, the area I live I live in, in, in sort of east of England, you know, around that sort of time of sort of transition and in the sort of mid 80s into into a working environment. You know, that was sort of the sort of boom or coming out of a boom of um, or a sort of downturn in energy and sort of going into another boom of potential scale up. We were going from a expirating most of the sort of easy to get oil in sort of continental shelf sort of regions into more of a deep water drilling environment where people were then converting rigs to drill in deeper water and trying to explore more oil. So I sort of hit that environment and um, my father was working in a company um, doing, uh, which made drilling um, rigs actually. Uh, and uh, I managed to sort of get into an apprenticeship, uh, you know, more or less falling out of school. Didn't really know what that meant or what that, you know, what that was involved, but it sort of carried me through a four-year apprenticeship and, and on to sort of more engineering sort of skills with um, quite a wider range of um, everything from sort of fabrication, drawing office experience, um, you know, machine shop, all the stuff that you sort of generally approach with um, sort of fabrication type industry. And that sort of led me through multiple careers. I was always one that, you know, I remember sort of going on my first rig when I was about 18, literally turned 18 and uh, seeing a driller a drilling uh, superintendent screaming at people and telling people what to do and I thought well I don't want to be the people being told what to do I think I need to be the guy that's been <laughs> screaming and shouting so I made I always made an effort of trying to be 
you know somebody who's who's uh, putting the hand up for the, the the jobs that nobody else wanted to do and, and and sort of really i think that sort of entrepreneurial sort of like go go after experience was really setting at a, a young age with me i think uh it's just really what i've what i've always been like i've always been you know one to say well you know i want to take that sort of next step and, and move forward and take the calculated risks that people possibly you know wouldn't what would normally want to want to take and that's really you know been been really the, the the run of my life really most of the time and why geothermal why was that where you landed i mean i, I was I, I was um in mexico uh, i lived in mexico for a number of years up to about 2018 and um i was doing some due diligence sort of work working for a number of um sort of uh different sort of funding companies and working with local government or government in mexico looking at refinancing and restructuring of some some debt on some projects and one of the projects i looked at was with working uh, was a geothermal project and um it's the first time i really had any exposure to that i mean i, I obviously knew what geothermal the principles what it was and what it does and i and when i sort of got into the nuts and bolts with it i just thought you know why isn't this being used globally you know why aren't more people using this this is like seems to be a natural solution to our problem with climate change uh, you know i've never been a great fan of of some of the other alternative energies, although they all have their place, obviously. And and I just think that, you know, because this is base load, because it has um, the ability to apply a multiple different sort of, we call it a cascade effect of multiple different solutions. And it doesn't require ancillary systems, i.e. it doesn't require something else to make it work, like a network or a, you know, battery storage or anything like that. You can actually use the energy directly from the source you want to put it in. And it also, I think most importantly, I think it, it just resonated with me that all of this is subsurface. And if one thing we do do well in the oil and gas is understand the subsurface and be able to, you know, work with the subsurface with technologies and everything else. So when I started getting into it, people were sort of saying, well, you know, yeah, this is not being done because it's expensive and drilling's high cost and it's really risky. And, uh, you know, you can't always guarantee this and guarantee that. And, and I just sort of looked at it and said, well, I don't agree with you, you know, it's just something that we do all the time. We don't go out with oil and gas and just decide to drill a well wherever we want. We we study the subsurface and we find, this, you know, the areas we want to work in and we then, you know, explore that. And so it's all about the planning and the strategy and all stuff like that, which didn't seem to be there in most geothermal projects or the, the principle that didn't seem to be the same. So that was really what sort of got me involved. And then more and more I looked at it, you know, I started to sort of look at, you know, what other people were doing around the world. Getting, I got involved with some technology related to drilling initially. And that sort of led me into, you know, further understanding and further ideas that potentially um, could help. But after, you know, a few years, um, probably up to sort of early or early 2020, late uh, 2019, I think the, it was really a case of that people were trying to invent and create solutions to make it work um whereas i felt that or a number of us felt that actually the solutions were there they, we just need to apply them differently to get the a, a better result and and that's really what we've done in seraphy is really brought together a group of guys and expertise and experience to really pull together what what we know works and put it together in a different way to make it um a different solution or a, a better solution for for the delivery of it you know fantastic and what about the longer term mission of Seraphy? Where are you headed? Well, I mean, I think like, you know, we want to grow the business. We, you know, we've got it. We've we've set ourselves a mandate to um, generate a significant amount of energy from or enable us to generation, I should say, um, a significant amount of energy from from uh, our technology and our approach. 
Um, we won't certainly won't do it all alone. I mean, we're working with lots of collaborative partners and uh, and that's sort of not just in the UK, but overseas as well. We've got a sort of what works mentality. So, you know, we don't want to sort of, you know, we're not in the, the R&D and science project type mentality. We'll want to apply what works and what we know works um, and apply it quickly to get results. But our mandate really is, is trying to have an impact on the Paris 2050 goals. Um, trying to get a substantial amount of energy to to the market globally, clean energy, baseload energy, uh, whether it be heat or electricity, uh, it doesn't matter. It's all the same at the end of the day. It's all you know, reducing carbon and uh, making our environment hopefully better, a better place to live. And you know, that's a mandate we set ourselves, and you know, and also doing it where where we can get other people involved. So it's not just about companies; it's about people and getting people to understand and being a bit of an advocate for the geothermal space to to sort of lobby the support behind doing it. Because a lot of people understand that it's benefit, but I think it's a lot of people also misled into, uh, in some respects of, you know, where it can be done and why it can't be done in certain places, which we believe is incorrect. You know, at the end of the day, the energy, the heat is everywhere. And if you get to the heat, the temperature, you can create the energy. So it's it's really a case of, um, yes, you won't get it in low-hanging fruit. You, you know, we're not California where we have geysers and we have the stuff coming out of the ground, but... Yeah, it doesn't have to be California to to create the energy. So I think I think also is when you look at some of the areas which are reliant on on geothermal, like Iceland and places like that, where I mean they have other problems with energy. You know, even though they have it, they still have a problem with you know some energy issues because it's all geothermal. It's too much of one thing. You know, so too much of of something is is never good. You know. <laughs> true, true. Although California sounds great right now. <laughs> yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, yeah, I mean, it's, I mean, it's, I mean, the largest capacity installed in the world is in, in is currently in the in the US and California, and uh, you know, is the low hanging fruit. It's 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 you know, literally coming out of the ground. So you know, why not use it? It makes perfect sense. But you know, I think we've just got to go get away from that mentality that that's the only place we can do it. And you know, it can be done. You know, there's projects in in the UK which have been going on for for several years now, and you know. You know they're not they're not the same principle of projects in California, but they they will produce energy and they are they are proving the point that you can do it even in places like the UK. And I think you know that's our that's our goal in the next really six to twelve months is just to show that it can be done anywhere, i.e. in the UK, and it and it can be then based on an oil and gas industry that we can then export that expertise globally. And become not just an oil and gas, you know, expertise that has got great project management and delivery expertise in the country, but also we can transition that into clean energy and make a, an impact, you know, using them skills moving forward. Which is amazing as well, because there's so many people out there that I think work in an industry where they perhaps don't feel as fulfilled as they might. And will look to someone like yourself who's made that transition and quite clearly love it and enjoy the space of clean energy and, and are getting more purpose from it. So there's a lot of people that would hear this and think, you know, maybe that is something that they can do in it. And it's, you know, it's an easy switch. If you have all the transferable skills and you have the right passion and purpose, then why not take that leap? Yeah, I think also the other thing as well is, you know, we have to remember that this is an energy transition and it's not a, it's not a, you know, we call it a race to net zero or race to 2050, but you know, the race doesn't stop when anyone get a trophy at 2050, you know, <laughs> we have to carry on. And, uh, you know, there's no, there's going to be no prizes for anyone of, you know, at 2050. So it's, it's about, you know, creating, creating the follow on from this and making sure that, you know, what we do in the next 30 years is not just uh, creating the, the objectives of keeping at 1.5 degrees, but 
actually we can keep it at 1.5 degrees and keep it for many many years moving forward so i think yeah it's it, it, you know we've got a lot of work to do i mean we're only literally at the beginning of this this issue and it's taken us you know 100 years to get to where we are and before we've really understood that this is a serious in- issue with climate change and and it's going to take us 100 years to sort it out you know it's it's not <laughs> It's, it's, you know, we, we, will, we will get on the road, we'll start making a lot of impact. There's a long way to go in this. And I think, you know, we're only literally at the sort of, we're, at, we're actually on the fence, I believe, today. You know, we're not, we're not over the other side of it. We're actually on the fence looking at, you know, what, what is the best way to solve the problem. So there's plenty of solutions and everything that's being done, you know, whether it's planting trees, whether it's, you know, doing, you know, wind farms, solar panels, you know, whatever, all of this is good. But the question I always ask is: Is it sustainable? You know, is it is it the right choice to make it a long-term sustainable impact? And and personally, some of, some of the areas I don't think you know the use of land for you know doing some of the approaches, uh, maybe like wind and solar, is the, is possibly the right approach. I'm not saying it's it's the wrong thing to do, but I don't think it's the right approach long-term. It's it certainly fits certain environments, but it's not the solution for everything. And uh, then you've got the intermittency of, of energy. You know, we've you know not everywhere has got good wind or sun, and and, and you know with a, with a climate change that is the problem. The climate does change, and wind stops blowing, and the sun stops shining, and you know that so if you rely on all different things related to nature or Mother Nature, then there is an issue with potential changes in the way Mother Nature is. Yeah, and I think that's it. I think we're we're all in agreement. There's no one silver bullet or magic solution it's about trying lots and lots of different things and some of those will have a longer term accessibility or need and some of them are the short-term things that we need to get us off the ground so um who knows where we'll be but i think yeah we need a lot of different solutions a lot of different minds uh, and industries working collaboratively and actually you touched on collaboration earlier and i think It's one of the things for me that stood out moving into the clean tech, clean energy space of that everybody wants to help you and you want to help everybody else because you've got this shared goal. How have you found that? Because like you said, you you know, you're fairly new to this geothermal space. Um, Yeah. What's your experience been? I think, you know, people, I mean, most, I mean, even even the largest companies out there, corporations are sort of coming to companies like us if they see somebody's got some solution which can help them and, you know, when you get large, you know, service business driven companies, which are predominantly relied on on oil and gas type industries, and they can see now a potential to link up with, you know, even if it is a small company like us and or with a company that can where they can apply them services in a an ESG mandated friendly environment, which helps them sort of tick boxes and, 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 and make their or put in their assets, people and equipment to work in a clean energy environment. I mean, that's a massive um, driver for um, helping companies, you know, in a transition. And I think that's where we are. And we've seen a huge um, push in that in the last sort of 12 months is, is companies suddenly getting aware that, you know, geothermal actually does make sense. It is something that, you know, we should potentially look at. It's it very connected to our oil and gas legacy um, expertise and businesses that are out there. And it's actually, it's not greenwashing or sort of, you know, some of the other things that, that companies are looking at where, you know, they're just buying some wind farms or or offsetting something against um, their their continual production, whereas you can actually move this into a new industry. And I think there's also a long way, you know, we've still got some long way to go in justification of cost and things like, you know, making the, the business case. But 
it's no different if I look back to 15, 20, 30 years ago when wind energy kicked off in the UK. I mean, it was the same conversation as, you know, this is never going to be cost effective and it's not going to work. And, you know, what we've based our business case on from day one and even today is, is that it's always been based on zero subs subsidies um, to make it economic. And I think that was, you know, where wind and solar got a lift because of the subsidies. And, and our business model is not focused on having subsidies. So it is standalone. It can, you know, stand on two feet. It, it might not get double digit returns immediately. But, you know, 15, 20 years down the line, it will be getting double digit returns and it will be a long term game like, um, you know, other utility businesses with a good return. So. And I think also that, you know, these are the sort of areas what, you know, also help the supply chains in, in, in places like oil and gas, you know, because the, with, with different cuts that are coming of stopping revenue or stopping money going into any projects that are related to fossil fuels, that's great, but there still has to be a transition. And, um, you know, if you don't have that transition, I mean, generally, I can't think of many contracts I've looked at abroad where, you know, the lead times are no no less than 12 months, 18 months or more to get the project in, in rolling. And if you suddenly cut them subsidies that potentially can be issued from, you know, whether they're sort of uh, credits towards um, uh, invoice financing or these types of things that governments are giving, um, export credit facilities and things, that's just going to make a massive impact on the on companies, specifically SMEs in a region that, like we are in, in the UK, where, you know, a huge percentage of our economy is driven by SMEs. And, um, you know, the MSMEs actually support the biggest majority of employees and, and taxpayers in the UK. So, yeah, I think there's a huge there's a huge piece of work to be done on this. And I think, you know, I, I think there's a lot of changes being done. They're being done, you know, with the right intent, but possibly with without really thinking of the, the impact that's actually going to happen in the long term. And speaking of challenges, both from a company perspective, but also a personal perspective, and our listeners always like to hear this, as a CEO, you must have your ups and downs. And I think uh, um, you're a man who's very, um, very open with his experiences and happy to speak freely. Like, how, how's that been, the, the ups and downs of the, the roller coaster of the startup? I mean, it's not the sort of first startup I've been involved with, but um, I think it's the most ambitious in many respects because there's still a lot of stuff for us that is, I would say, I wouldn't say it's totally unknown, but it's sort of like new ground, you know. So, you know, although you can you can only sort of, you know, build a strategy out as much as you can really touch and feel and understand. And I think a lot of ours is there's some of this that is um, still unknown. So I think one of the challenges is managing expectations and of um you know the, the the team that we've built the people that are in it our stakeholders and people that are around us um you know because at the end of the day a lot of this is new for them as well so uh, and they're, they're they're buying into you know the visionary sort of strategic approach of the business so i think there's you know there is some there's a lot of expectations in, in this to manage and um you know we have to be realistic that you know we've set a business model together and a business plan together and a, a strategy and uh, you know we we stand behind it we fully believe it's achievable and doable and you know that itself is when you when you are the pioneer and sort of company that's going out there doing sort of some of these things on your own at the beginning you are setting the you know you set the trail for others to follow so you know for sure you know like everyone else that you know we'll we, we'll get things wrong <laughs> we'll get things right um and you know that will and that will continually keep moving forward and and um and we'll develop from that you know uh, to the benefit hopefully of, of uh, you know everyone globally eventually to have some sort of um 
benefit out of this. Um, and that, that's really, I mean, I, I like a challenge. I mean, I, I sort of set myself up in, in, in these types of roles to actually deliver something that, you know, is, is possibly in most people's cases would be a dream and try and deliver something forward, which um, a lot of people wouldn't want to take that responsibility on board. And I, I do. I mean, I, I, I've always been that type of person. I'm, you know, I, I, I sort of, I don't look at the, at the war we've got today. I look at the, you know, the trying to find the end of war going forward, you know, so it's not about the battle. Today, it's about the longer, longer picture. And, and I think I've always been a bit like that, to be honest. It's like, um, you know, it's, 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 you've got to, I think if you've got to, you've got to have a big ambition to, or, or a big goal if you want to make an impact. And I think that's, where all this originally came from is speaking to investors two or three years ago and especially large investors out of the US, you know, and saying, you know, we have to place 500 billion a day in capital from our, you know, facilities. And, you know, there's not enough out there for us to get our money in. And then your head starts ticking and think, well, what about if I could create 500 billions worth of opportunity? You know, what would that mean? And and, and that's really, you know, what's, what's sort of driven me to sort of come together with this sort of group and, Try and build something that is scalable is a and hopefully will be a legacy type approach you know to actually create something which has a meaningful impact on on society and uh, and everyone moving forward fantastic and i guess you've needed inspiration along the way you mentioned your dad and his his kind of career in that space and having someone to look up to and support you but there have been other people that have inspired you along your journey are oh, many um i think like I say, back to the driller on the drill floor, shouting and screaming. I mean, I think, you know, yeah, there's many. And, and, and I think because I've always been that sort of inquisitive type nature of, of like, you know, well, how does that work? And why are we doing this? And what, you know, ask the question. I was always a why kid, you know, why, 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 why? And, uh, and I think because of that, that sort of just nature in me, I've, I've sort of managed to sort of get involved with some great people and really learn inspirationally from, from those people at a younger age and um yeah i'm always looking for the next challenge you know it's you know to to move forward and i think that's you know i'm not happy doing one thing i have to do multiple things i have to have multiple balls at the same time to juggle so other others find that i you know i can be weathering wearing down quite quickly because they're, they're not that sort of mentality but i i very much am and i and i'm quite happy to to carry that in a, in a way that you know others others probably wouldn't do uh, you know, I, I can deal with I can deal with problems quite easily. You know, I I, I don't generally show problems, and, and I think you know a good leader or anyone that you you know who's leading a mission needs to you know build the support of the, the team behind them, and and they have to feel confident that you know the, the the company and the business or whatever it is, whether it's a project or whatever, it's being led in the right way. And you know, and I think if you if you show weakness that you haven't got the control or or that is not in in the, the process. Um, yeah, the, you know, then that, that sort of cascades through down through the business and for everyone else. So, and I think you just have to, even in the worst points of um, the situation, you have to generally show positiveness. And um, you know, and, and like I said, it's about dealing with expectations, um, and that's something I think is is we all have to deal with it in in life. And um, I think sometimes we fail because we we uh, we 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 can't manage them expectations or we're not prepared to to take them expectations on board. Yeah, I think positivity gets you a long way in most things in life, whether it's in your personal life or in your professional life, that kind of sense of belief. And also knowing that when you go on these startup journeys, particularly in a new sector, that there are going to be a huge heap of challenges that hit you in the face. And 
keeping a positive mindset and looking for solutions and outcomes and answers. I think, Jenny, actually the other thing as well is because, you know, unlike a lot of other sectors or areas where people say, well, you know, I'm going to set up a new recruitment company or I'm going to do this. I mean, in, in what we're doing today and, and because we are sort of dealing with some novel approaches and all this, you know, there is no benchmarks really out there. There, You know, people can't say, well, you know, well, this looks good because so-and-so did it or, or whatever. So so there is sort of some of that sort of pioneering and, and, and that's, you know, that is very much where where we are. And, and, and for that reason, it, you know, it's it's natural that, you know, you there, there's going to be times when you say, well, we could have done that bit better or we, you know, it would have been better if we did this. But, you know, if, if you don't do it, you don't know. And, um, you know, I think that's, you know, what you, you know, one thing I think where, where, where we're, um, you know, what we have brought to the table in this space, which which hasn't been there in any of the projects I've really looked back is is really the that oil and gas health safety mentality where you you know you you take risk but everything's calculated in a way where there's no impact to you know personnel environment or you know equipment etc and you can do it in a way where it's all measured and modeled in a in a very sort of um you know pacific manner um but also it's that fail fast mentality is like you know you can see when you something is not going to work and you can make a decision quickly and say no let's stop that and just forget that and let's just move on and do something else and I think that's, you know, again, where where we need to be in this. If we're going to make impact results, we need to fail fast and make sure that we move on. And um, and what we do, though, like I said, is, you know, everything we're doing today is really we're not we're not doing R&D. We know this isn't a science project. This is taking what we know works, using all the technology, the people, the skills, the collaborative approach with, you know, if we don't know, somebody does and we'll ask them. You know, we're not afraid to go and ask people, not afraid to go and speak to people and create this collaborative um, approach. And I think that's important in, in making this work. Well, I think there's a there's a very exciting future for Serafi and for you and the team, but also for the sector. Um, if you had to kind of, I guess, put your, get your crystal ball out and say what was going to happen in the next kind of five to 10 years for geothermal. Are there any real sort of core things that you can see on the horizon? I mean, we have our own goals. Um, you know, I'd like to be able to sort of tell everyone what they are, but, for, um, uh, you know, we have our own goals, which we've set ourselves. Um, and if, in, you know, if we can achieve our goals, I think that that in itself um, will be a testament to where we are with geothermal you know, I, I think in the next five to 10 years that we are going to see geothermal up to possibly 10% or more of the renewable energy mix globally. It's currently under 1%. Um, so that's a sort of order of magnitude year on year sort of increase, which, you know, we will need to, to make this work. You know, I think that's that's definitely going to happen. And it could be a lot more. Um, you know, there's nothing stopping us doing this. This is, this is not, you know, nuclear fusion. This is not, you know, stuff that, has got challenges it's not even hydrogen where you know we have to create massive systems and infrastructure to make it work the, everything we can do in geothermal is there all it needs is you know money and the will to do it and it can be done and and that's and that's really the difference of where i think we are in in this space it's like you know we it, and we're trying to sort of put this across to you know the people the decision makers in governments and that around the world is like you know if this is not Nothing new. It's, it's something that is there. It can be done. Uh, you know, we've had a robust oil and gas experience globally, um, not just in the UK, but, you know, many companies, countries around the world have established oil and gas sectors. And everything we do in oil and gas can be applied effectively to what we're doing in geothermal. It might be able to tick all the boxes from the commercial numbers at the beginning, 
but the more you do of anything, the you know the better it gets, and the more scalable it becomes, and scale brings cost and value and everything else reduction. So simple money, belief, and government legislation, and then we'll be there. Yeah, no, absolutely, and you know, and and again, you know, it's going to deploy tens of thousands, millions of jobs, and um, you know, all of that has a really positive effect on the economy and and helps feed the the process in a circular way. You know, so. Brilliant. Um, well, that's been extremely insightful, both in terms of your journey and the company and also the sector. So thank you for sharing your wisdom. Um, if you had to leave our listeners with one kind of final message or even a final question to get them thinking, what would that be? I mean, being sort of passionate about sort of the general sort of climate challenge we've got at the moment, I think, you know, what I'd like to say, what I'd say to everyone is that, you know, this is not government's problem to solve this is all our problem to solve you know it's, it's the consumer that, that actually creates the problem at the end of the day because the more demand there is for all these different plastics and everything we use every day you know the more it's going to be created so you know although there's um you know we have a big big challenge on our hands it's everyone's challenge and you know we have to you know we can all do something to make make that um you know climate impact doable and uh, achievable and it has to start with us because there's no good us screaming and shouting at you know oil and gas companies to reduce the the production of fossil fuels if we're still going out there every year and, or every two years and buying an, a new television and a new this and a new that and uh, you know living a, a, a disposable two year cycle on everything we buy because um, you know that is the reason why we need plastics why we need all the stuff we do and a lot of that's produced by hydrocarbons and and the production of hydrocarbons and and that so yeah, I think you know. We just need to be more conscious in, as individuals, I think, in, in what we buy, you know, even down to our clothes and stuff. You know, do we really need that? You know, do I need another jumper? Do I need another jacket? Do I need a, you know, a, a, you know, just reducing one item of clothing a year and things like this can be a massive impact. And I think, you know, that in itself is going to help. And I think a lot of people have become a lot more conscious since we've had the COVID um, experience, which has been, you know, in a global impact. And I'd like to sort of think that, you know, that continues and we don't get back to how we were. I think we soon will do, <laughs> but yeah, I mean, for me, I think that's it. I mean, you know, everyone, everyone has a has an involvement in this. This is this is our problem. It's not in individual companies or anyone else's or governments. It's our problem, and uh, you know, I think we all need to. We can all help the problem. I agree. I think there's a piece around education and making sure people understand, but also, you're right. There's so many decisions you make every single day that you could change just a little bit. And that might be, like you say, getting something secondhand instead of new. It might be not buying a plastic water bottle. It might be, do I need a car? And if I do need a car, maybe I can look at an EV or a hydrogen car or you know, even a hybrid if that's where you're at based on your circumstances. But there's a lot of things that we can do that each, they feel like a small difference to you, but collectively it, it makes a massive impact to, to the planet and to the future. And also just it's it's cyclical. Once you start it and once you start to become more conscious, then I think it continues and it becomes a part of who you are. Yeah, absolutely. And I, th- I think, you know, you know, you don't have to look far back. Well, I, I, you know, I can remember back to my childhood 40 odd years ago and a lot of things people are saying today that you know we should do this we shouldn't you know we shouldn't take plastic bags to the shop we you know we should all the things we were doing then you know that that was we didn't have plastic bags <laughs> you, know? you wouldn't dream of taking a plastic bag to the shop you didn't have one you took a bag to buy your groceries you you know you so i mean i think 
it's not a big challenge. It's because it was done before. And I think the problem is, is we live in this sort of um, this quick lifestyle now and, uh, you know, everything's fast and, and uh, you know, and, and a lot of that is a problem. And, and I think, you know, we've just got to, you know, if you want to do it, you can do it. And if you don't want to do it, you won't do it and end the story. And, uh, but, I th- but I think there's a large amount of people out there who really, you know, want to make a change. And I think there's a lot of, you know, even I've seen it in my, my, my younger kids and, and teenagers that, you know, they all, um, they're all conscious of it. And, uh, you know, I think given the choice, they would want to make an impact. And I, and I, and I think there's just little things you can do, which are easy to be done. And, uh, also, you know, the more we can do locally, that itself creates jobs, stimulates economy, you know, w- you know, why bring in, you know, avocados from Mexico or pineapples from South, South Africa or wherever, when, you know, we can, grow them locally in you know climate farms or you know agricultural buildings and stuff like this there's there's a lot of things like that we need to look at which in itself can reduce carbon footprint reduce the logistics reduce transportation reduce lots of things and so it's not it's not just oil and gas it's a whole process which um you know i think hopefully cop will deal with a lot of that and it is sort of raising the the issue but the problem is is you know we've got to get away from just talk and actually start doing it and making it legislation and making it law and making it, you know, rules around it to make it applicable, you know. Definitely. Well, there's some great words you've had there. So hopefully they ring impactful with some of our listeners, make a difference and get people to be a little bit more conscious about what they're doing day to day. Um, so thank you. Thank you for joining us today. You're a fantastic guest. And I'm certainly looking forward to seeing what's coming next for you and for Seraphie. And for the sector, I, I really hope that the uh, the goals you've mentioned come to fruition. Yeah, well, thanks very much, Jenny, for the um, for the opportunity, and always uh, welcome to you know to participate in these types of events. They're they're a good way for um, spreading the word and 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 getting um, you know our view on the table. You know, at the end of the day, because that, that's really what it's about. Excellent. Thank you very much. Take care. Thank you. Cheers. Thanks very much. Thank you for listening to Conversations in Clean Tech brought to you by Brightsmith. If you enjoyed this episode, be sure to subscribe, like, and leave a review. Every time you do, it helps others to find the show. For more information on Brightsmith and how we can help you to build a sustainable future through identifying, attracting, and retaining diverse talent, head over to brightsmith.com. Join us next time for more Conversations in Clean Tech.